0: Hello, my name is Lee Shelnut, and I'm the pastor of the Huntersville Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. That's a mouthful, so we affectionately know of ourselves as HARP. We at HARP welcome you to the podcast of our preaching and teaching ministry. We're grateful that you've joined us. If you're encouraged by what you hear, we'd love to have you subscribe. We believe in the power of God's Word and we love sharing the glorious good news of the Lord Jesus Christ as we preach and teach through the pages of Holy Scripture. So join us now as we open up God's Word. This is the invitation. Brothers and sisters, turn in your bulletins now to the text, the uh, sermon text. It's actually two passages of Scripture. We began on this first Sunday of June a new series, and the series is A Summer in the Psalms. And as we begin, we begin with the beginning of the book of Psalms. We begin with the introduction to the Psalter. And the introduction of the Psalter is Psalm 1 and 2. These Psalms, when they are taken together, they show us what it means to be the blessed child of God. We see in verse 1 of Psalm 1, blessed is the man. And then we're given that description. And then we see in verse 11 of chapter 2, the last verse of uh, Psalm 2 Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him we find in these two psalms, we find these great themes of delighting and meditating in God's law and God's word and his Torah and also we see the theme of calling God's people to take their refuge in God's rule or God's Messiah. These psalms are a deliberate pair of psalms. They belong together. They're meant to be taken together. We see that this, this, these two words of blessing are like brackets that pull these two psalms together as a single unit. Now neither one of these psalms, if you'll notice, has any title. Neither one of them has a heading. And that suggests to us that both of them together serve as the title, as the heading for the entire psalter. Psalm 1 is a wisdom psalm. It introduces us to the way of the righteous versus the way of the wicked. Psalm 2 introduces us to the Messiah, to God's King, to us needing to find our refuge in him. And though, So it's a very much clearly so a messianic psalm. So we have a wisdom psalm. And we have a messianic psalm. And taken together, they lead us into the entire psalter. They are sort of like lenses or windows through which we'll look at the rest of the book of Psalms. And as such, let's just get at it. Psalm 1. Give your attention to the reading of God's word. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Psalm 1 has an individual approach. Now notice what happens in Psalm 2. The lens grows bigger. Why do nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let's burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Pause and notice verse 4. He who sits in the heavens laughs. He laughs at such puny men, shaking their fist at him. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, oh, so you, y'all gonna... Bust the cords, huh? You're going to displace me, huh? Okay, well, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, Now we have the one who is set on the throne speaking. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I've begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way. Voice wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be unto God. Well, just to kind of let you know, this is going to be a two-part sermon. You get the first part today, and you're just going to have to wait till September to get the second part. I get the first word for this series, and I get the last word. And and I've already told Nick that, so Nick, don't you try to sneak in the rest of Psalm 2. We're going to cover Psalm 1 this morning primarily. We'll look at a verse or two of Psalm 2 as well. But as I was studying and reading for the sermon, preparing for the sermon, I ran across a preacher who asked a very interesting question as he began his dive into the book of Psalms. He asked a question, and that question is this, why is Psalm 1 Psalm 1? Well, Pastor Lee, I think it's because it's got the number one out there in front of it. Well, that's not really what he meant. He said, why does the Psalter begin with this particular psalm? It's understandably well known. It's well known because of its position, right? It's the first psalm, so it's known fairly well. But why does the Lord lead out with this one? Why did the Holy Spirit inspire the writers of the psalms? to begin the psalter with this one. Why not something more well-known? What's the most well-known psalm? Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Why isn't that the first psalm? And and since the psalter is a biblical hymnal, it's the church's inspired songbook, why not a psalm about praise? Praise telling you you're supposed to praise God, you're supposed to sing, you're supposed to lift up your voices to the Lord. Why not lead off with Psalm 150? Let everything that hath breath what? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Why not Psalm 150? Or since we have all received grace upon grace upon grace upon grace, why doesn't the Psalter begin with a psalm that tells us to be grateful, to be thankful? How about Psalm 100, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. Why doesn't the psalter begin with that? Or since the psalter is a part of God's glorious revelation of himself, why not a psalm that declares the greatness of God and tells us something of his glorious attributes? Think of Psalm 139, a well-loved psalm. Here's some verses from Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. God knows what? Everything, right? The psalmist continues. If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. In other words, God is what? Omnipresent. Right, And the psalmist goes on. He says, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast the sum of them. Why doesn't the psalter begin with a psalm like that? Declaring the great attributes of God. And since we're sinners, and since we're in need of mercy and forgiveness and grace all all the time, why not begin with Psalm 103? The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, An abounding in steadfast love. Why is Psalm 1, Psalm 1? Brothers and sisters, dear ones, I think Psalm 1 is Psalm 1, because God wants to confront us all. He wants to confront us all. Before we sing, before we pray, before we begin living through the Psalter, He wants to confront us all, With the choice in life. The choice that's before each and every one of us, each and every moment of our existence. The choice. The choice between what? He wants to confront us with the choice. He wants you to choose. Not only does he want you to choose, you have to choose. As Blaise Pascal, that great uh, French philosopher, theologian, mathematician, a Renaissance sort of man, as as he put it, he said, you know, we're like ships, and we're like ships uh, near a harbor. And you can either direct your ship into the harbor, but if you choose not to direct your ship into the harbor, you have chosen not to go into the harbor. To not choose is to choose. And you all have a choice, and you all have to make it, and I have to make it, and we have to make it now. What choice? Uh, One of my favorite gospel presentations uh, is entitled, There are Two Ways to Live. There's the way of righteousness, and there's the way of wickedness. There are two ways or directions. There are two types of people or descriptions of people in this psalm. And there are two ends or two destinies for such people. And the two are contrasted. And the choice through that contrast is forced upon each and every one of us. Which one will you choose? Which path will you go on? Which direction will you go in? What description describes you? Which will be your destiny? Which way will you choose? Which congregation will you join? On judgment day, where will you find yourself? And the psalm contrasts, again, the way of the wicked and the way of the righteous. It's like the Proverbs. Which will it be? To which church will you belong? First then, which direction or way will you take from this point on? Which direction? Verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. What drives you? What moves you? What motivates you? What directs you? Do you intend, as a human being created in the image of God, do you intend to shun all evil, the totality of evil? The psalmist in this psalm uses three clauses, which when you take them together, he's really talking about the totality of evil. And those phrases are the counsel of the wicked, the way of sinners, the seed of scoffers. The three taken together also point to this downward, uh, this downward progression. You first start walking with them. Then you're kind of standing alongside with them. And then finally, you're seated with them. The three move from considering their thinking to mimicking their behavior to sitting or identifying with them. And the psalmist asks, is that the direction you're going to take? Is that the choice you're going to make? Ralph Davis, uh, one that I love to quote because he's so quotable. I mean, he's got all these these wonderful illustrations. So I'm sorry, but you've got to put up with Ralph Davis' illustrations. And he was talking about this wonderful, sweet woman. She was 104 years old. 104 years old. And Somebody was around her and was just astounded by her vigor and uh, her, her age. And the person just couldn't help themselves. They, they asked this sweet old lady, they asked, what's the greatest thing about being 104 years old? Now, for 104 years old, she had a razor quick wit. She answered, no peer pressure. <laughs> it's true, Right? Peer pressure. Will you bow to the pressure of this world? This world that will soon have you sitting with them. They'll have you tolerating them first. Then they'll have you celebrating them. And then they'll have you sitting with them. Will you bow? Will you identify the psalmist begins out with a negative, but he moves then to the positive, does he not? He tells us uh, that, that not only will the godly, the blessed, shun evil, but he'll talk about the positive. And what's the positive? Interestingly enough, he talks about pleasure. Pleasure. He says, the, the, the blessed, they shun evil, and then they just have, they have a lot of fun. They, they enjoy pleasure. They, they have great delight. They're totally immersed in the pleasure. And that might make you feel a little bit uncomfortable, right? Because you know, sometimes we think pleasure is always just a bad word. Not here. Total immersion in pleasure. Putting it that way, it sounds rather hedonistic, doesn't it? And if you know anything about John Piper, John Piper will be thrilled. Because John Piper talks about this thing called Christian hedonism, and by by uh, saying Christian hedonism, what he means is Christians they delight in, they take pleasure in God, and that's what the psalmist is saying here. He's saying the person who's blessed is the one who takes pleasure, delight in God, and particularly in God's what, law, his Torah, his revelation. Verse two. But his delight is the law, of the Lord. And on his law, and this is total immersion here, notice. On his law, he meditates day and night. Now, Rachel's going to need some total immersion into Spanish. And, And she's already a great Spanish speaker, and she's going to come back just blowing us away with her Spanish skills. Through immersion. Well, you're to be immersed. The blessed man is immersed. Immersed in what? The law of the Lord. Total immersion. And that total immersion leads to a greater delight which then directs the blessed one in the way. The law delights him. It preoccupies him. It directs him. It sustains him. And sometimes it's the only thing that sustains. Is the him you? Choices before you. That's the direction of the choice. Second, which description describes you? Describes you now and will describe you all your days. Verse 3. He is like a tree planted by... Okay, I want you to get the, the sense here. I want you to get the, the image here. Planted by streams of water. That yields its fruit in the season. in its season... And its leaf doesn't wither, doesn't get yellow, doesn't get brown, doesn't get crinkly, doesn't fall off. In all that he does, he prospers. But the wicked are not so. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. I remember um, in the last year of my seminary career, we were living over close to Cottle Creek A.R.P. Church, and one of my family members was going to come visit us during a spring break and spend some time with us several days, and we looked forward to it, and she came. And if you know anything about seminary students and pastors, uh, we have tons of books. And I have books everywhere, and Paul, you're going, your books are just, you're just going to get more and more and more, okay? Uh, you're going to have tons of books. And when you're in seminary, you're immersed in books with lots of words, right? And you just think that's the way everybody is. You, know, you shouldn't think that, but that's what happens. And you think everybody ought to like books. Well, here comes uh, my family member, and she stays with us. She wasn't interested in Burkhoff's systematic theology, and I can't figure out why. And she wasn't interested in uh, Jonathan Edwards in the you know multiple volumes. I, I didn't scratch my head, didn't, didn't quite get it. it kind of hurt my feelings. You know, I love the words. Instead, she brought a stack of magazines. And that whole time, she. she Look at these pictures, look at the pictures, look at these pictures. Sometimes we need pictures. And the psalmist gives us two here, doesn't he? Two. They're beautiful. They're clear. Well, one of them's beautiful. Both of them are clear. The first one is a tree. Beautiful, strong, stable, fruit-bearing. And the other is chaff, husks, worthless stuff. Right? Blown by the wind. Blessed, the blessed man, because he lives in the word, is in the tree. He's stable. has stability. He has vitality. He has durability. Right? He has productivity. He produces fruit. Right? He, he prospers. He's blessed. And in being blessed, he becomes a blessing to others. It's not that he won't ever have dry spells. It's not that he won't ever have problems. The psalmists are going to get to those problems of life. It's not as if they're whitewashing it. But overall, this is the description of the blessed man. And it's glorious. I want you to think about your favorite tree. Most beautiful tree. That's what the blessed man is like who delights in the Lord's word. But then we get this little terse thing. But the wicked are not so. It's not that way with them now they may seem like they're blessed right and the psalmist will talk about the wicked who prosper later right they may seem to be blessed but God wants us at the very beginning of the psalter to see that that is in essence a facade it's a mask it's fleeting it's ethereal they're really just chaff. I'm showing my age here, but you know the band Kansas? They sing this song, or they sang this song, Dust in the Wind. That's what the wicked are. The psalmist does dust. He says chaff. In Israel, during this time, you would grow wheat, right? And you'd take your wheat, and you'd take your Pitchfork and you go to the threshing floor. And the threshing floor is usually on sort of a hill. Why would it be on a hill where you could catch the breeze? And you get your pitchfork and you throw the wheat up, and what would you hope would happen? The grain, because it's heavier, falling down, and what would happen with the rest? The chaff. It'd get caught up in the wind and be blown to where nobody cared. Such are the wicked. They may have seemed important in life. They may have seemed weighty. I mean, I think if we kind of examine and think over the past couple of years in this Me Too sort of time frame, we'll we'll recognize that, you know, there were a lot of celebrities once. Big men. Big men, big women. A lot of celebrities who were well-known. Seemed weighty. Actors, movie moguls, politicians, maybe even televangelists. Weighty and important people. And then they're accused of something. And the word gets out. And now they're yesterday's news. At best. Forgotten. Blown by the wind. Which describes you tree firmly planted by the streams of water bearing Fruit in its season or chaff? That's the direction and the description. Lastly, the destiny. Which destiny will be yours when you breathe your last? And you will. You will. Every single one of you will. When you breathe your last, to which congregation will you belong? Verse 5. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. If you go in the direction and the way of the wicked, if you identify with them, and dear ones, it seems like everybody wants to identify with the wicked these days. Oh, I must identify with them because I'm afraid of being canceled or afraid of being ridiculed or it just seems the loving thing to do the loving thing to be if you cast your lot and identify with the wicked if that is your final choice what will be your destiny Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous for the Lord knows the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked will perish. Final judgment is coming and the psalmist at the very beginning of the psalter wants us to realize that. Final judgment's coming. How will you fare on that day? Are you ready for that day? The psalmist would have you so. Which choice will you make? You can't avoid the choice. Either your ship is turned into the harbor or it's not. You see, brothers and sisters, the wicked will have no standing on that day. They will not be able to stand before the judgment seat of Almighty God and be declared not guilty. They will not be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. The blood of Christ will not have cleansed their sin. They will have no communion. They will have no congregation. They won't belong to the congregation of the righteous. And the congregation of the wicked? Well, that's not really a congregation. It's just people scattered in other darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And they have no hope. Post-death, there is no opportunity to turn the ship into the harbor. The opportunity to turn the ship into the harbor is now. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. You say, Pastor Lee, I don't like those Old Testament words. How about the words of Jesus? In the Sermon on the Mount, this is what Jesus says. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. He continues, Jesus, sweet, Loving, gracious, wonderful, glorious Jesus. He says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never Knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Which will be your destiny? This psalm forces the question on you. You have to make a choice. An old Bible commentator and preacher told the story of a man by the name of Joseph Flax. Joseph Flax was a speaker and I believe a preacher. And he visited Palestine years and years ago. This was back before the modern state of Israel. Interestingly enough, Flax, when he was there in Palestine, he had an opportunity to speak before a bunch of Jews and Arabs. Okay, And so he chooses Psalm 1 as the subject of his address. And this is what he did. He read Psalm 1, just like we've read this morning. And he asked a question, just like Pastor Lee started with a question. He asked the question, this was his question. Who is the blessed man of whom the psalm speaks? Who is this blessed man? Who is this man who never walked in the counsel of the wicked? He walked with the wicked, but not in their counsel. Or stood in the way of sinners. He stood there, but not not mimicking their behavior. Or sat in the seat of mockers. Yes, he he sat with them. He ate with them. He drank with them. He, in a sense, identified with them, but but without sin. Who is the absolutely sinless man of Psalm 1? He asked that question, and there was silence. So he prodded them. He said, was it Father Abraham? And one old Jew responded, no, it cannot be Father Abraham. He denied his wife and told a lie about her. More silence. He prodded again. Well, how about the lawgiver, Moses? Another responded, no, it cannot be Moses. He killed a man and he lost his temper at Meribah. Another bit of silence. Well, well, how about King David? <laughs> and if you've been with us through our Samuel series, you know what the answer is to that one. No! Don't you remember Bathsheba and Uriah? Finally, after a long period of silence, and you just let it hang. Who is the blessed man of Psalm 1? One elderly Jew arose. And he said, My brothers, I have a little book here. It's called the New Testament. I've been reading it. And if I could believe this book, if I could believe that it is true, I would say that the man of Psalm 1 is Jesus of Nazareth. Of course. Jesus is the one who perfectly delights in the Torah, right? Meditated upon it day and night. And He is the one who He walked with sinners without sinning. He stood with sinners without sinning. He sat and identified with sinners without sinning. And He is the one who then took The wrath that the nations and the kings and all those who shake their puny fists at King Jesus, he took the wrath of his people in their place on the cross. And he is the one who then extends this invitation to you right now. And he says, You gotta choose. You gotta choose. And that brings me to the last two verses of Psalm 2. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Will you please Will you please take refuge in the Blessed One of Psalm 1? And He is Jesus Christ. And when you find your refuge in Him, one day you will be a part of the congregation of the righteous. If you don't, you won't be. The choice is yours right now and for the rest of your life. Which will you choose? Let's pray. By your sovereign mysterious grace, O oh Lord, by the working of your Spirit even now, work in every single heart here that we would shun evil, and that we would find our refuge in Jesus. For it's in his name we pray.